Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting in safe house with my partner, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Okay, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be in the safe house tonight. Yes. Because... Uh, it's not safe out there. No, it's apparently, not. It's very apparently unsafe. Apparently, it's not safe out there. That's why we're in the safe house, because there's uh, mass murders going on all over our country. Crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah. You you know, not a day goes by. You gotta, we have to double up now. Yeah, you know, and... Uh, can't fit them all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't fit them all in. And it's tough, I, man. I, 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 well, you know, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be here in front of you and our, our special guest tonight. Yes. And your dog who keeps trying to hump my leg. Well... Um, you know, but I know my leg is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, chicks dig my leg. Okay. <laughs> I've told you that before. Yes, yes, yes. I and think chicks, the, yeah, the troubled nation's well aware of, yeah, of how women, animal magnetism. Yes, they're well aware of that. But yeah, it's, a, it's troubling times going on right now, nation. So we're here to bring you some uh, levity or some humor or yes, some... Distraction. Uh, some distraction from it all. But something that's been distracting me and... I don't know the last time I saw you, Renee. I don't remember the days, because I've been lit up for like 72 hours right now. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I've been lit up <laughs> for like 72 sense. hours. And, and we're doing a show on a Sunday. Yes. Which doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. Yes. In many ways. In many ways. In many ways, it does make sense. But I'm thinking, do you think the title of our show is offensive to some people? Um, no, uh, I mean people. It it, it uh, is intriguing to many people. They're not sure. They they think that we only have troubled men on as guests, right? And I yeah. have to explain that. No, that's that's the that's that's us. That's the 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 general framework of the show. But then we'll have people that aren't troubled, or even women, troubled women, non-troubled women on the right, show, right? Because you know, uh, you gave me like five hundred stickers, like yes. a, a long time ago, right? And. I've gone and stickered the uh, our city. Okay. Parking lots. Okay. Uh, bathrooms, telephone poles. Okay. And then I revisit those places. Uh huh. And these are places where stickers are like welcome. Mm hmm. And our sticker seems to be torn off in yeah. a lot of places. There may be some resentment out there in the in the. So do you think the, it's like the hashtag Me Too or hashtag? Fuck you! I don't understand. No, I think it's some people just uh, resent that we're actually doing something, Manny, and uh, and uh, we're we're you know plugging away at it like crabs in the bucket. You know, like like anybody who's actually doing something, there are those among us who uh, the, will resent that. Okay, well, well, that's that's that makes me feel better. Now you know what way. I do with the stickers is I don't I don't uh, uh, put them up willy nilly everywhere. I will put them on you know something like places you're talking about like a club bathroom that has a, right. a mirror that has a bunch of stickers I'll, I'll put one there you know or uh, a dressing room or something that has a bunch of stickers in it but right. but generally it's it, I, I reserve them for people that show an interest in either in me or in the podcast and so I or someone who I'm trying to get interested in the podcast and I, I bestow it with a, a, a great amount of uh, gravity them. Well, if I waited for that, I would never give out a sticker okay, at all, because well. <laughs> no one's interested in me. Nobody's interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. Well, so know. anyway, that's something that happened that I was thinking about. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, 
you know, I was out on the on the road, did a few dates with uh, Lynn Drury at uh, in Pensacola, did a radio show out there. It was it was fun, you know. Had, was out at the beach, had to to uh, avoid the sun, which I <laughs> yeah. ma- managed to do. Yeah, you know, we always say the beach is getting more dangerous. Okay, well, it seems like everything's more dangerous. Well, yeah, because well, I've noticed like uh, now, like the uh, uh, what are those germs? Those uh, well, they have flesh eating bacteria yeah, out there. Yeah, is now is like gone. It's now it's it's spread all over the Gulf. Uh huh. From Florida to Alabama to Mississippi. Right. In Louisiana, and but we don't have beaches here. No, but we have swamps. Water, yeah, yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. They already had uh, sea lice out there. Yeah, we talked about the sea lice. lice. Yeah. And then now I, I see that there's a, a great increase in sharks. Yes, yes. Because which, global warming is uh, affecting the uh, the yes. migration of the the food, the fish that that uh, they feed yeah, on. So they're yeah. coming in closer to shore. So basically, everything that's going on for the summer right now is like I don't want to leave the house. Sure. I don't want to leave the house. Well, you don't want to leave the house even in the yeah, wintertime. Yeah, in the so. wintertime. Any, any season. But I did come up with a great idea. You okay. know how um, um, the internet and the social network and all that, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very easy to get anything you want delivered. Okay. With Amazon. You're talking about the black web. I mean, dark web. <laughs> No. Okay. No. Okay. No. Right. no. Okay. Moving Maybe on. Maybe you were talking about. All right. No. 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 Just getting but, ahead. So, um, so uh, you used to be able to just call a restaurant and order order some food to be delivered. You know, and now it's all Ubered. Okay. Everything's Ubered. Like you can get an Uber ride. So I don't know if this is happening, but I think I have a great idea. Because I don't need Uber Eats. I don't need Ubers. I don't need it. But I do need Uber drinks. So I actually thought that this would be a great idea to have just, if I run out of booze, just Uber a drink to me. Just a think, single drink? Yeah, just a single drink. Yeah. You wouldn't want like a whole bottle and some mixer? Well, no, that, that, that's delivery. But if I just want one last cocktail before I pass out, then I'll just Uber a drink. Okay, so I could see it. So you, so you have, uh, you have the, the bartender on wheels... Yeah, uh, with, yeah, with a full bar. But I in think there. that's very New Orleans, yeah, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, don't I you could, think? Yeah, I can see that. Just yeah. bring you a to-go drink. Uh, yeah, just say, oh, uh, knock on my door, and here's your, uh, you know, your vodka soda. Here's my vodka soda. Thank you, and I don't have to tip you or anything. Just be on your merry way, and just put it on your credit card. Yeah, put it on my credit card. Okay, all right. Well, yeah. some some uh, enterprising young person out there yeah. may want to take this this uh, idea and run with it because I know that Manny is it's not going to develop it any further. Than yeah, no, no, <laughs> writing no, it in I, the notebook. Just the idea, yeah. <laughs> and I'm crossing out the idea. Right, right, right. <laughs> I already crossed it out of my notebook. It's never going to happen on my end. You won't remember yeah, it in the no, morning. No, no, I won't no, remember no. this in the morning. But <laughs> I, I do remember certain things. And one of the things I remember is I really don't care for you that much. Well, that keeps coming up on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Anyone that's listened to the podcast already, yeah. that we've, we've, that's, that's, yeah. that's an established... Uh, but you got me into this thing. Yes, that's established So I'm here well. to stay. Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. But I, I, I dig you in certain ways. In I certain do. ways. In, in certain, certain ways, ways I, I dig I, you. I am, you know? I am lovable. As you can tell, I'm a little... You know, it's Sunday. Right. So I'm a little bit more... Uh, how? Uh, what's the verb I'm looking for? Uh, um, uh, more relaxed. More relaxed okay, than uh, on a weekday. Okay. Yeah, right? you're not as exhausted. Yeah, I'm not as exhausted. And you've been drinking for longer. Today. Yes, I know. Okay, yeah. I can I can tell that. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, maybe we should get right into our guest here. Yeah, let's do um, that. He's uh, he's he's fleshly, freshly f- flown in. F- fleshly, <laughs> fleshly. Maybe for, who's been on? Who's been for, for the last weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cumulative effect over yeah. the past week uh, from France. He's, uh, he's, he's landed in New Orleans uh, on a, a short stopover before he goes to his hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, which yeah. He's going to. I like Memphis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Memphis, Memphis is a good place to be from. Right on. Uh, so so uh, he's, a, he's a photographer, very accomplished photographer, filmmaker, um, author. He's, he's uh, had a whole bunch of uh, uh, photographic uh, exhibitions and, and uh, catalogs and, and books. He was a, a, a close friend and, and a student of uh, the great William Eggleston, great uh, color art photographer. We're going to get into all that. Um, he's currently uh, working on a, uh, a documentary about uh, Alex Chilton. So they've already had a, a documentary on, on Big Star, but no one's really done an in-depth study that focuses just on Alex and, and his uh, his his uh, multifaceted career. So without further ado, Mr. David Julian Leonard. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Welcome. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah. You've got the green mic, man. It's go. It's, right. it's go. <laughs> get, it, get it right up there close to your lips. Yeah. Okay. I like to hear your breathing. That's, okay. that's right. Um, so so uh, if we could start off, you, you were f- friends with Eggleston, and, and you developed a lot of your aesthetic sense from from him, I'm guessing because as I look at your photographs, I see a lot of Egglestonian uh, influence. Right, right. You know, it's hard now. If if anyone uh, wants to be an art photographer, and if you you know photograph just uh, found things rather than you know highly conceptual or staged things, just things that you find in the world. Mm-hmm. If you're shooting in color. Uh, Bill Eggleston's shadow is is a very large shadow for all of us to sort of exist under. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's hard to escape that shadow. But I have a yeah a direct connection to where I was looking at his pictures and and knowing him and and getting a sense of what it what a photograph can be. What 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 can we consider to be uh, an art photograph? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it came from him, and and you know consciously. If I saw something that I thought would look like one of his pictures, I would avoid. Yeah. Even even trying to escape that shadow, it's it's difficult. Yeah. Right. It's hard. Well, you know what I what I one thing besides just the the color art uh, aspect of it, he's very much of a, a southern artist, and and in terms of like you know, so, southern artists seem to be uh, especially concerned with these small moments in life, these these incidental moments. Uh, you know, Flannery O'Connor. You know, she writes about you know a little conversation in a doctor's waiting room. You right. Know, and nothing is happening except just the the interaction between these these people. And similarly, uh, you know, Eggleston's photographs, he's very much a, uh, has that aesthetic where it's these small moments that m- could easily go unnoticed. But Southerners are obsessed with this, these things. And I find the same thing in, in your work, you know, that hmm. it's, uh, it's things that, that, you know, most people, if, if you're moving too fast, if you're in too much of a hurry, it might completely you. It would escape your your uh, your attention. But we're obsessed with these things in the South. Yeah, you know, I I am from the South, and I, I I was born and raised in Memphis, 
and lived there most of my life. And, and so whether I identified what I was doing as Southern or not, I can't really say. A lot of the pictures that are in uh, my, my book that was published in a couple of catalogs, a, a lot of them are taken in, in other places. You know, sure. when, I, when I travel is when I, I really am, maybe my, my eyes are more wide open because I'm seeing new things. But, but that is another shadow or, or another uh, uh, identity that's hard to escape for me and for Bill. You mm-hmm. know, the, we are Southerners, you know. Right. And, and, and for Bill, wherever he goes, people want for him to still exist in this, you know, Southern Gothic world. You know, he, like he had a series of pictures of, of, uh, that he called the, the English Rose. He was just taking pictures of roses and eh, people didn't see how that fit into this idea that they had of mm-hmm. who he should be. But yeah, those, those mo it's not just moments. It's those details. It's like yes. what's within the frame, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole lot implied about what is just outside of the frame. And, right. and you see, you see maybe some things that are sitting on a table or, you know, just a little bit of something that's, that's in a, a house or whatever environment. And you, you get a sense beyond just of what those things are. You think, Oh, who are the people that put those things there? And yes. What is that environment like? What are those lives like? The sure. unseen narrative, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know, you talk about uh, you know how you shoot a lot outside of the South. It doesn't even matter wherever you go; you still have this Southern aesthetic, this concern with these things, like you're talking about. You know, the, the small details, and so you could be in in you know Africa, you could be in in uh, France, you could be anywhere, but you still have that that Southern eye. Yeah, if that makes any sense. I think I guess there is something kind of kind of warm and something kind of intimate. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like if you look at there are a lot of art photographers from uh, Scandinavia and mm-hmm. Northern Europe, and 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 it's not it's not the same. You don't it looks see like that. a very drab world. Yeah, and uh, and somehow that's what they feel or what they yeah. what they imagine a photograph should look like. Uh huh. It's a reflection of their souls. <laughs> <laughs> So besides being a photographer, you also worked in the in the uh, film industry, and you worked with uh, 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 Milos Forman and and uh, uh, Francis Coppola. Well, we had an amazing string in Memphis there for a little while. I mean, I was a guy. Uh, I, I wasn't working so much directly with those guys, but mostly because of John Grisham. You know, we had a, okay. a streak of of amazing filmmakers that came to Memphis, either directly or indirectly because of, of you know John Grisham wrote these books that had to be turned into movies and and, and Coppola and, and Foreman got hired to to make these movies right um yeah the rainmaker was a was a, 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 a John Grisham uh, yeah. a book that became a, a film and, and it was Francis Coppola that directed it and came to Memphis and I was just working as a grip you know I mean I was a guy with a with a, yeah. a tool belt and I was yeah. working with the cinematographer who was another Oscar winning guy John Toll and um, yeah, it was an amazing thing to just drive a few blocks what every day and Milos work with Francis. Foreman film you worked on. Well, now that was that was indirectly because of John Grisham, the 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 producer that came to Memphis to do the Firm, which was the first one of these John Grisham right, yeah. films, and Grisham the first big blockbuster for the nineties. He was right. hot. Yeah, he was very hot. So there was a producer from New York named Michael Hausman who came to Memphis to do that, and he fell in love with Memphis as a location, and he brought. Milos Forman for the People versus Larry Flint. Oh, okay. Which All didn't right. necessarily have to take place in Memphis. It's a story that was mostly in Ohio, mm-hmm. but he had a, a, a long-term relationship with Milos. From he's the guy that produced uh, 
um, Amadeus with him. And right, he'd yeah. done other stuff with him. Yeah. Oh yeah, one for the cuckoo's nest was. Well, no, that was that was he directed that. I don't think the produce. Anyway, so let me ask you a question. Do you think we should get rid of the penny? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should get rid of the penny. Yeah. You know, I think there's a problem with getting rid of the penny. I think it's actually uh, inflationary. Um, because when you get rid of those small coins, you have to, you have to round, right? It has a rounding that has to take place. And on a a very small, uh, um, economics level, I think that, that, that rounding can, can have uh, negative consequences, negative economic consequences in terms of, uh, of driving prices. Yeah. Right. It might accelerate inflation if you didn't have that. Although I guess right now it's not a, we're, we're in a a zero interest environment. So really inflation isn't a big problem, but it has been in our, in our history. So why, why do you think that we should? It was a campaign promise that I made four years ago as running for mayor of New Orleans that I would get rid of the penny and also uh, we, we would have nine-day weekends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't understand why I won't win I down th- here. I think the, pennies, the, the penny proposal is probably more doable than the nine-day weekend. But well, this is talk New a, Orleans, Talk about inflationary. Man. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this is New Orleans, man. Yes. All right, so go back. You work with Coppola, right? Well, yeah. yeah. You know, I uh, I dated his daughter. Oh, really? A couple times. Yeah, I went out with her. She's a good kid. Sophia? Right. Yeah, she's a good kid. Did you ever meet her? No. Okay, well, well, I got nothing then. Okay. <laughs> so, so then, uh, uh, you, and then as a, as a filmmaker, I've seen, a, you, you did a, a bunch of uh, films about uh, the people in the Delta, you uh, like f- um, different right. artists in the do- Delta, as well as, as working on like the the uh, Stax movie, the right, game. right. So tell us about those. Well, my my friend from childhood, uh, Robert Gordon, yes. is a well known guy in Memphis for uh, for yeah books that he's written about about uh, music, including a biography of Muddy Waters and and a great book about Stax, the great soul label of Memphis, and. Um, he and I worked together on a lot of documentary projects about music. Um, some, he would be the director and I would be the cinematographer. The feature film about uh, Stax called Respect Yourself, the mm-hmm. Stax record story. Terrific movie. Was co-directed by, by Robert and another director, Morgan Neville, who's out in L.A. and, and really well known for... Um, uh, he did the Mr. Rogers thing that, that was oh, huge wow. last year. Cool. And, and he also did 20 Feet from Stardom. Another great movie yeah, about he, the background vocalists. Right, yes. right. But Robert and, and, and Morgan uh, directed a couple of films that I uh, was cinematographer for. We did another one uh, about Johnny Cash for A&E biography called Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash's America. Nice. And then Robert and I co-directed this series for the Mississippi Blues Trail Project, mm-hmm. which yes. is a, a really an amazing project. I, I think uh, maybe the most advanced thing like this of any state in the country of combining culture and tourism with you know over 200 markers historic markers but they're these nice sort of modern historic markers that have you know color photographs and and more than just like you know engraved you know plaque right, plaque right. made of bronze mm-hmm. they, they they turned it into a whole experience where you can go throughout the state and 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 uh you know follow the blues trail and as part of that we made a, a series of short films 20 mm-hmm. something short films for the blues trail and, and a few for they also have a mississippi country trail 
Uh-huh. And it was great. We made these four and five and six minute films on all these different subjects like, um, you know, some individual uh, artists like Mose Allison. Yes. Did a, did a short film. I love Mose Allison. I've been a fan since I'm a child. Right. And uh, we, we interviewed Mose. So where can we see these films? If you on go YouTube or we can Google them or... There, there's a there's a website for the Mississippi Blues Trail. Okay. Uh, msbluestrail.org, I think is it. msbluestrail.org slash film mm-hmm. gets you to the page where all these where all these films are. Yeah, and I, I watched a bunch of those. They're they're wonderfully done, man. It's so great that 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 you you still have people to talk to as you made these things. If you wait. 20 more years you won't have people to talk to right you know you just you'll be talking to people reading out of a book or something right i mean it's sad to say that we were we were about yeah our interview with mose he he, he died only a couple of years after that yeah and um yeah uh, we, we we uh you know it, it's true of uh, in general of the subjects that that uh that i worked on with robert and um you know th- that i think about musicians that i would like to make films about mm-hmm yeah they're dropping like flies I'm man it's been you, a tough summer know? for new orleans musicians <laughs> i'm sure you've been watching david right. you know it's like uh, i guess we made a, a week here with, without losing another one but uh it's just just this week right well you, night's not over Renee. yeah i know and i'm not yeah, looking so yeah, great yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i gotta drive to Moreau after this it's about 30 miles away to go go uh supervise a session and uh i thought it was going to be uh, just a few blocks away over on uh, claiborne and louisiana avenue it turns out i got to go south of uh, of uh, Chalmette. It's been nice knowing you. Right? Yeah, Be yeah, careful. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You were a good kid. Yes, yeah, St. Bernard Parish is a whole different yeah, scene. Yeah, whole different scene. Yeah. So, so David, so your your latest passion project is you are a, a, a good friend of Alex Chilton's, and and you started making a film just based on his his life and interviewing people that that knew him personally. A few years ago, and you've right. you've shot a ton of film, and and have what ninety percent of the uh, the principal photography finished. Yeah, yeah. So now you're in the closing stages, and, right. and you have a, a Kickstarter program. Yes, I do. Yeah. And uh, tell us about that. Well, um, yeah, I, I sort of went out on a limb on this one uh, as in a different. It's a it's different from some of these other projects that you know I just. I felt compelled to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess about a year after Alex died, uh, I found out that Alex's uncle, Jack Chilton, was still alive, and he was out in San Diego. And I just thought, I've got to interview this guy. He's mm-hmm. 97 years old. And, he could, and, and whether that was going to be in a film or not, it was just something I, I thought, I want to I see him. The opportunity is there. Right. And I did. I interviewed him, and he could tell stories about actually playing in a big band with Alex's dad, dad right. in the 30s, traveling around Mississippi. Wow, no kidding. And, um, and he was a great guy. And, and, um, and then after that, it was like, oh, I've gotten started. I'm going to, you know, I, 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 I think I should, should make a documentary about Alex. And I think at that time, this, there's, there is a documentary about Big Star. Yes. It had not come out yet. I knew that those guys were doing that, but somehow I knew that they weren't going to do the film that you would the do. The thing about Alex, right, you know? Right. And and it's sort of a thing that Alex endured through his career was that Big Star, the legend of Big Star overshadowed his own work and and his life and the now, way that Chal- he would want it want it portrayed. 
Now, you know, the big star film was fine. It was mm-hmm. good. But, but uh, yeah. I was glad when I did see it finished. And I didn't keep up with it. Like, while they were making it, I didn't meet those guys or try to figure out what they were doing to shape what I was doing around it. But right. when that film did come out, I was real happy to see that they left a lot of room for A wide for me. lane for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So tell the trouble. Who, who is Big Star? I don't know who Big Star is. Who's Big Star? <laughs> okay. Um, so... You know, Alex was in two groups that he's most identified with. Uh, first was the Box Tops, and the yeah. Box Tops had you know a lot of big hits uh, in the late '60s. Uh, it was sort of what you would call blue-eyed soul, right? The okay. the letter is the most famous record, and and uh, that was the very first day, the very first time that Alex ever walked into a recording studio when he was 16 years old. He made a number one hit record, okay. which was the letter. And, 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 and then he quit high school at the age of 16 and he, he went through this, you know, uh, whirlwind for two and a half years of, of being a touring musician and a recording musician with the box tops. And then when that, when the wheels came off of that experience, uh, he, uh, he, he then joined another group uh, a year or two later, which had already gotten started in Memphis, this group called. Big Star. Okay. And Big Star at the time was not really very well known. Their records were, they, they suffered from really, really poor distribution. They were uh, us. And what kind of music was Big Star? Because I don't know. Uh, yeah, they'll refer to it as power pop. So right. it's like, you know, the Beatles meets the Stones kind of uh, idea, you know, in, in the South. Right. Uh, you know, so they have like soaring high harmonies, you know, uh, very Anglophile type uh, harmonies, um, but also with a, uh, um, a kind of gauzy aesthetic. I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of groups that are that are, you know, said to be power pop groups, and and some of the ones that that people describe as power pop, I don't I don't hear as much in in common with Big Star. Um, so ba- Badfinger is I one hear group. Big Star. Um, I, th- I think of like Grateful Dead, like no, a jam no, no, band. No, 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 no. Definitely not no, a jam band. Yeah, okay. In fact, absolutely the antithesis okay. of a jam band would be Alex's idea. Alex liked really tight songs uh-huh. that were, you know, well crafted, and and, uh, and 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 he said that maybe part of the reason why Big Star didn't do better at the time is because that was exactly when groups like Led Zeppelin were coming along, which he would call like guitar masturbator bands. Although he also admitted that even Big Star might have a little element of that because it was some real serious electric guitar sounds, uh, great, great guitar sounds. But this was not a group that he started. There was a guy named Chris Bell who was a big Anglophile, you know, uh, loved loved the, the British invasion music, which Alex also liked. But Chris Bell's idea of a group was a little more like kind of softer, um, kind of not as irreverent as Alex would tend to be, you know. And so Chris Bell's involvement with Big Star really only lasted through the first album. It's it's a fast and, and crazy story where they had one album with the original four members. Then Chris Bell quit. Mm -hmm. They made a second record as a trio and Alex had come to lead the band. Why did he quit? Ah. (laughs) He was a troubled guy. He, he, if he were living, he would be on this show. He should be on this show. That's right. (laughs) He was certainly a troubled guy. And, and I think, and what did he, he was a guitar player. He was a guitar player and a songwriter and they had a great uh, chemistry. They wrote great songs together. They, they really benefited from having access to the, 
the most state-of-the-art recording studio, studio in Memphis so that they could, in the middle of the night, craft these songs really carefully with the help of a very advanced engineer, the guy that owned that label, Arden, uh, the studio, and, and label called Ardent was owned by a guy named John Fry. So it was like his pet project that he let these guys, it was more, it was a recording project is what it was. So, so it's like they had access to a studio and they, they, they wrote these songs and they really refined them. And then the group fell apart pretty quickly. They didn't tour much at all. There were, they hardly, they never had a real proper concert tour and they had some great reviews in the press, but, um, you know, their records weren't distributed well because they were part of Stax right at the time when Stax was going into bankruptcy and right. collapsing. So, so then Alex, you know, he continued the group, but the group was really in the mold aesthetically of something that Chris Bell had envisioned before he joined the group, you know, but, but, but no, still on the second record called Radio City, the first record was called number one record. Right. The second record called Radio City has this great William Eggleston photograph, one of the most iconic photographs that Bill ever did, called The Red Ceiling on the cover. Um, and that's really much more like uh, Alex. Uh, you know, it's, it's the, the guitar on that is, is all Alex. And yes. There are a couple of songs that, that probably Chris Bell had something to do with writing. Mm -hmm. but, but it's like he's trying to shake that thing that everybody wants him to be. Like for years after that, he, it, he would have people wanting to believe in this thing called Big Star. And it's like it didn't really exist. So I have, I have a recording, actually, of a woman interviewing him about that. And he, he says, what you're talking about is a fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like people wanted Big Star like they wanted to believe in the monkeys. Uh -huh. It's like, you know, they want that. They want to look at the four-piece band on the, on the lunchbox. Uh-huh. And it never existed, you know? They wrote some songs, they made some recordings, but that fantasy is not who Alex was. Well, you know, when, when I was playing with Alex, he, he would say, uh, I got to teach you these songs because we're going to go out on the road and people are probably going to want to hear these songs, so you should hear, should, we should know these songs, be able to play some of them. And I was like, okay, well, um, why don't you play the record? And he goes, why don't you just let me teach you the song and not don't listen to the record? <laughs> you know, so as... as, as uh, as much as, as the out, outside world will look at those as, uh, you know, the Bible or something, he didn't look at it like that. He's like, no, this is just something we were doing at the time. And, you know, th the song is the song. But, you know, those, those recordings are not sacred. Right. Which other people would hear me saying this and going, they are. They right. are sacred. Right. And, <laughs> and Alex didn't look at it like that. Now, can we assume that everybody listening to the Troubled Man podcast knows that you, Renee Komen, played with Alex Chilton for several years? And uh, Well, I guess since you just said it, we can assume that now. But um, perhaps some do. Uh, you know, it's, it's part of my history. Uh, you know, I, I uh, came up as a child. You know, like a lot of people go to college. I went to Alex Chilton. So... <laughs> You know, I went on the road for uh, uh, three or three or four years. You know, and uh, that was a formative time in my in my my life. And you know, learned a lot from Alex, and uh, we had a great time out there tooling around in the '73 uh, Lesaber. Um, yeah, and and I remained friends with Alex, through, you know, through, throughout, and we continued to return to other projects as we were talking about, uh, you know, the Stanley Atkins. <laughs> right. <laughs> Continue work on those, and we would do Panther Burns records, you know, periodically, and uh, so yes, that's that's very much, um, you know, in my history. 
Um, I mean, really a very critical time in Alex's life. You and I sort of saw the flips, two different sides of that same coin, which is that, you know, I, I knew Alex in Memphis. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I wasn't that close with him, but I, I did keep up with him over the years until still we were friends and I would go visit him at his at his house here in the Treme in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Um, and, and, you know, every few years I'd see him uh, for different reasons here and in Memphis. And and but right at the time when he made the decision to move to New Orleans, um, I was coming down here with a friend and he caught a ride with us to New Orleans. OK. At that moment, when he had made that decision, and and he he made two decisions at the same time. He he chose he he, he quit drinking, and then chose to move to New Orleans. Right. Which of course most people would find kind of incompatible, but right. for him it, it it worked out fine. And and so as as we drove to New Orleans uh, just before Mardi Gras in 1982. Alex explained to me that he really needed to make a change in his life. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, you know, he, he fell into music when he was 16 years old because he made a number one hit record the very first time that he ever walked into a recording studio and then dropped out of high school to become a pop star. And he never had a real job. So he was telling me, you know, that, that he needed discipline in his life. And so he was just going to get out of music for a little while. Mm -hmm. So as we know, as soon as he got to new Orleans, he was doing these regular jobs, right? He, at first, I think he was driving a cab and then he was, he was washing dishes, uh, in, in the restaurant of a hotel. And I think maybe some people thought that Alex was down and out at that time, but really this was something he needed to do to kind of you know, it's a character choice. Uh, uh, he, was, he was he he was regrouping. Yeah. Yes. What was his number one hit? Uh, the letter. Give me a ticket for an airplane. Oh, that's his song. Uh, yeah. He, oh, so that but but yeah. he didn't sing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was the singer. No, Joe Cocker did another version that's oh, very okay. different. But the first version and the one that sold more as a single was the version that the Box Tops did in 1967. And they had a string of other hits, uh, "Cry Like a Baby." Right. Uh, you know, the the, the great uh, Dan Penn was uh, wrote many of their songs. Spooner Oldham, his his right. uh, songwriting partner, is involved in all that stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very much a, a Memphian uh, story. Yeah, yeah, Neon Rainbow. Um, uh, I'm yeah. your puppet. They, yeah, 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 yeah. They had a lot, a lot of, of singles. Great records, yeah, yeah. You know, the only, that was uh, the, the, I think "Cry Like a Baby" was a number two. Yeah, they never had another number one, but yeah, they had several top forty records, and and they were touring, toured uh, with the Beach Boys, right. toured you know all over the country. Alex became good friends with Dennis Wilson and right. and Carl. You know, he said Carl taught him how to play guitar more or less. Right. You know, being on the road more than anybody else. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, he, he had, he had, I mean, just a crazy life that he fell into when he was 16 years old. So here he had gotten to sort of the end of the line in a way after not the end of the line, but time to, to regroup after, you know, through the late seventies, he'd gotten into a pretty crazy lifestyle throughout the seventies as so many people did. And, right. and, and in music, he, you know, he, he'd made a lot of great records that he wasn't getting really any royalties from you know mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of great music was out there that he wasn't really seeing the benefit from and and you know so he decided okay i'm just going to back away from music for a little while and, right. and ch- check into my own you know see who i am so yeah. when he came here then he met you and you were his musical collaborator as much as anybody else during mm-hmm. the period when he was not known to be playing any music right yeah yeah, you know, we were we were just uh, hanging around, listening to music and playing music, and uh, and you know, doing uh, 
very low level kind of stuff. I remember, you know, Alex got got uh, asked to play with this band on Bourbon Street, and he went for a uh, rehearsal with him, and he came back and he said, "Yeah, man, um, the drummer's pretty cool, sings good, you know, knows a bunch of tunes, you know." And I said, "Well, we should get you to play bass." And so, you want to come do this? I'm like, "Sure, Alex, why not?" So that's how we wound up playing at Papa Joe's, and and then we'd be playing down there, and you know REM would be on tour, and you know Peter Buck would drop in to come see Alex Chilton playing uh, cover songs, uh, you know, <laughs> at, at Papa Joe's with with me and Dawson Braden, and uh, you know Will Rigby, for the drummer with the DBs, came in one day and he was chatting with us, you know, and he I think he gave Alex uh, uh, like Frank Riley's number, you know, great booking agent up in new york and said well here's who books us if you want to you know this guy might be able to help you out if you want to go and do any dates so the day that we got fired off of papa joe's uh we went to the payphone and alex called up frank riley and he goes uh hey uh this is alex chilton uh you think you could book me some dates and right. that was that's how we wound up going out on the road and that that first trip uh up to new york we wound up staying at an apartment where a photographer who did a lot of work for New Rose Records was staying in the same apartment, and uh, he calls up Patrick Maté, the guy running New Rose Records, and gets him on the phone. He goes, "Hey, I got Alex Chilton here in the room with me. You know, would you want to talk to him?" And you know, he passes the phone, and Alex gets off the phone with Patrick Maté and goes, "I guess we got a record deal, man. <laughs> go back. Let's go back to Memphis and make a record." Right. So that's how that started. Yeah, he just sort of put himself out there in a way that was really without great expectation, I guess. But but sure enough, things started coming coming his way, and 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 y'all uh, y'all took that ride for a while. Y'all were traveling, touring in in Europe, and yeah. but it was like a new repertoire, right? Alex had reinvented himself musically. In a well, way. it's it's the point at which Alex decided, you know, the and really the way that we were playing these bourbon street sets where we had a, a bunch of cool covers that Alex had picked up and that that's all it was is just cover stuff. But when we went out on the road, he kept that same aesthetic of like, well, I love all these cover songs, especially black music. You know, we started doing, you know, a lot more like blues and R and B stuff live as well as throwing in, you know, some uh, requisite box tops and, and big star stuff. But, and then, you know, some originals he started to write again you know alex was someone who wouldn't write all the time every day alex would write if there was a a record that was going to be he needed to record right that's then he would okay well i guess i guess i need to start writing some songs so but it was the idea that this is my thing and if you want to see what i want to show you then come to my gig and if you don't fuck you (laughs) don't care right And, and uh, again, that was more of who he really was. You know, he was, he was uh, getting to the point where I'm old enough that I'm, I'm through trying to be something that somebody wants me to be. I'm just going to be what I am and see who likes it. And there's a great quote that you have, and he would, I've, I heard him say it at the time, which is, he, he says, uh, you know, people have been telling me, I'm doing the wrong thing for so long. And uh, looking back at, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, looking back, it turns out I wasn't so wrong after all. <laughs> right, right. So, so you're, you're, you're documenting this whole journey, like from Alex's point of view. And you've, you've interviewed. So, so once you had, uh, you had uh, 
Alex's uncle, right. then you thought, well, for sure I have to get Lucky Joe. <laughs> because, you know, if there's anybody that knows what was going on in Alex's life, it's Lucky Joe who played a gig with him and, you know. A couple of gigs, right? But not much. But still, somehow his perspective is so refreshing. And so it, it really belongs in the film. He speaks well, and he, uh, you, that's a good moment for Lucky Joe on, on film with you. So. Right. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I guess, you know, being from Memphis, uh, I was, I was, uh, I'd always spent a lot of time in New Orleans uh, going, going back for many years. And so, so after, after Jack, the next thing was that I was coming to New Orleans and I thought, who can I look for to interview here? And, and, um, you were one of my early interviews as was, uh, Doug Garrison, who also was on the road with Alex during that time when you were, and, and then, you know, New Orleans is full of characters, as we know, yes. and Alex's appreciation for those characters was, was quite open, you know, yeah. and people that you wouldn't maybe uh, guess. Uh, and, uh, for example, Davis Rogan, a larger-than-life New Orleans character. He's an idiot. I hate him. Can't stand <laughs> Davis Rogan. Why bother interviewing him? He's a jerk. Well, because he played with Alex. Well, and and you, they, they have stories of you know yeah. their time together. No, that's that's true. David is correct. I might He's to, one person who'll never be on this show. No, no, I might have to cut some of this out. But you know, yeah. I would say that Davis was more. Don't of a, more, edit me, Renee. More of a pet. He was more Don't of a, edit me. Yeah. All right. I've told you this time and time yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't okay. edit uh, me. Well, so far, so good, man. Okay. We're we're good on this show so okay. far. Okay. Um, yeah, but but yes, Alex did have an appreciation for people that others might be ready to uh, to cross the street to avoid. Right, right. And you know, yes, he's uh, he was he had a certain kind streak. While while many that knew Alex might might think, uh, well, Alex was really mean to me. You know, and that may be true, but he also had a very kind side, and he would be kind to people that other people would ridicule. Right. Right. I mean, so, you know, I, I wanted to be open to to the to that side of Alex. I didn't right. I didn't want to go for the celebrity interview. I wasn't right. trying to find the most famous people that mm -hmm. Alex knew or played with. I was trying to find the people that might surprise you. So Lucky Joe is, is in that category. Yes. yes you know, he is. it was just because I happened to be staying at Skiro's. Uh huh. And Lucky Joe was working as a busboy downstairs. Well, that makes that sense. That somebody pointed him out and said, you got to interview this guy. He knew Alex and then got some great quotes, you know, yes. got, got yes, some great did. stuff. No, he speaks and, glowingly of Alex. You know, and then, of course, you were one of the people who mentioned another obscure collaborator of Alex that, that most people are not aware of, and, and that would be Stanley Atkins. Stanley Atkins. Right, Stanley before we go into that, we're going to take our break. Yes. Because it's time yes. to take our break. We'll be right back, Troubled Nation. Okay. And we're back, back in the safe house, back with Manny Chevrolet, back with David Leonard. So you're right, you, you have this great movie uh, in, in the works. Uh, it started off uh, with the title, um, Thanks for Being So Nice. Right. And now it's called "Why Should I Care?" Right? <laughs> would you would you explain the uh, the shift in title? Yeah. yeah. Well, Part two. You know, yes. it's it's hard to come up with a with a name for a lot of things for for most anything. Um, and I was asking around for a title at the time that um, one of Alex's friends from Glasgow, mm -hmm. where he had a lot of friends, yeah. Um, suggested the title the Teenage Fan Club guys Right Yes who's, uh, The Teenage Fan Club Is a band that has A great affinity For Big Star And, right. and uh, they, they Alex got to be friends With those guys And he would go And visit them And spend time I, I actually understand That he was considering um, 
possibly purchasing a property or, or maybe moving to uh, to that that region. Uh, you know, making some possible plans. Uh, you know, at the time of his his demise, he spent a lot of time there, and so I went and interviewed a couple of people there and met a lot of people who knew Where's him. There? There. Where's this? Glasgow, in? Scotland. Okay, which Scotland? Um, right. Yeah, the Teenage Fan Club. You know, they have they have quite a pop scene there in oh, Glasgow. Yeah. And another group called BMX Bandits. He he uh, collaborated with guys from that that group as well, but as much as anything, it's that he made these big friends and Mm -hmm. he would just go there and just stay even when he didn't have a musical reason to be there. So one of those friends suggested to me the, the title, thank you for being so nice. Just because, you know, Alex got to where he, Alex had this, he was, it was quite a a ball of contradictions. You know, it was like, he was like the polite punk, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, he was like the punk rock guy that could wear a cardigan, you know, right. and so he would he would say uh, at a lot of gigs and in, in the later years he would say thanks for being so nice I want to thank everyone for being so nice it's a thing that he would say sort of at the end sure. of the show which might surprise some people who might have at one time thought that he had a more irreverent attitude on stage right. or even rude to sound men sometimes right. which is something I never really saw but you probably saw. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I saw I saw plenty of times when you know Alex made enemies he didn't need to make just because I don't know I don't know, still don't know why but right. uh, but yeah that was that was an element but but you're you're right that he would be very appreciative that that the audience had come to see him and and had stayed and had listened so attentively and and he he genuinely was he wasn't being flipped he genuinely was appreciative yeah so the the name change to the mm-hmm. other to to. Uh why, why should, should I, I care? care? I, I think it really is a better name. Kind of, it's, 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 hmm, how to put it? I mean, for one thing, he did sing the song, Why Should I Care? There is okay. a recording of that song that, right. that, uh, uh, really is, is Lawrence Olivier from, from, uh, uh, you know, the from, boys from Brazil? No, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> Good guess, though, man. Yeah. But Marathon but, Man? No. <laughs> Little Romance? Right, right. No. Speaking of music legends, you know, uh, a great music legend who have I admired for years, uh, Stevie Wonder, he made a big announcement in his last gig in London, some London festival or something like that. Hmm. Uh, did you hear about this? No, I didn't. No. He made this huge announcement where he said to the audience, it was like right before his last song, I think it was one of those parks, Hyde Park or whatever, he's okay. at a music festival there. Mm-hmm. He made this huge announcement, and the whole audience was waiting. They were waiting. What, what, what do you say? And the motherfucker said, I'm not blind. <laughs> that was his huge announcement. After all these years, he said, I'm not blind. It was, it was just, a, uh, just a publicity <laughs> Yeah. Really? Since the 60s. He said, I'm not blind. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know how this didn't make the paper. Man. You didn't see this? I didn't see it. Oh, no. okay. But I've been on on the road a little bit, so I've, I, I didn't yeah, read every yeah, every you, page you, of every yeah. newspaper. No. It, okay. Well, some breaking news here yeah. on the Troubleman Podcast. Yeah. Thank you for that, Manny. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so so you're now in uh, editing, right. and um, what else is going on now? Besides? Well. It's um, color correction. Oh yeah, right. You know what? I really the the the, the Kickstarter campaign is uh, to raise money for uh, uh, graphics and animation as much as anything else. Okay. The things that I, I really cannot do. Yeah, I'm doing the editing and and um, and I, I need to bring in another editor as well. 
This yeah, is crazy. Fresh I've been, set of I've been, eyes. Been, yeah. 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 It's it's really been a, a, a one one man show, you know, kind of a, a solo project through shooting and through the beginning of editing. And uh, uh, so, listen, we had a, a documentary filmmaker last week on the show. Uh, what was her name? Sasha Lily Kieber. Right. Lily Kieber. Yeah. Yes. And I asked her the same question. You're a documentary. Uh, is how important for a documentary is to say action and cut? Not at all. It's not important at all. No. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Wanted to hear. Yeah. No. Okay. All, right. all right. I mean, you know, sometimes you you don't want people to know when you have the camera on and when you don't. It's really not the same way. Yeah, she's a lot better looking than you, but you're okay. Sure. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, David has his appeal. You know? Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. got a nice hairline, some gray hair. Yeah, he's got a nice smile. He looks good. He's got, he's a, got a, a very boyish good charm smile. about yeah, him. We like smile. that. We like and, that. So you're finishing this 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 film up, right? And uh, and and you're getting very close. And you, so you're you're raising money to to bring in this fresh set of eyes. Uh, oh, right. I, I had a something. Anyway, you you talk for a second. So the host is saying yeah. guests take over. I'll, okay. I'll remember what it no, was. Listen, I was dude, say. you're doing all right. He he he's 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 okay. Yeah, he's yeah. okay. I think we're all okay. Yeah, he's okay. He just forgets things every once in a while. You well, know? you know. You know. It happens. Because we're in the safe house, nation. Yes, we're in the safe house yeah. where uh you know you can let your guard down. Right, exactly. I feel safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's very safe. So, did Thank you hear you. about the? This is something I thought was hilarious. Hear about this woman who was so upset at two a.m. on Bourbon Street. She went and got like a meal. Two a.m. on Bourbon Street. Did you hear about this, Renee? Oh yeah, you got that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're talking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, uh, the yeah. woman that was so upset about the quality of her food at a food. Bourbon Street business yeah. that she. Uh, she, she 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 first says she's at this restaurant in the 400 block of Bourbon Street 2:20 a.m. After becoming upset at, at the quality of the food, she punched the cook. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, she punched the cook and uh, then came back later with a gun. Yeah, well, so she punched the cook, who then escorted her from the building. Yes, she returned a short time later, pulled a gun from her purse, pointed at the cook, and demanded a refund. Yeah, <laughs> the cook told her to leave. The woman fired a shot into the wall behind <laughs> the guy. <laughs> but, but see, I saw that story when it first came out, and whoever wrote the story, and the editor probably corrected this person, said, punch the chef. Okay. Okay, they changed it to cook a few hours later, because... Who's a chef on Bourbon Street at that address where basically the pizza's under a hot lamp? Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so if, it, if, it'd, been, if it'd been the 200 block, you yeah. could get away with saying a chef. Yeah, but... Yeah, but that, yeah. 400 block, yeah, no, yeah. it's just but, a cook. But the but thing is, like 2.15 a.m., 2 o'clock in the morning... All anyone wants what do you expect? is comfort food. Yeah, what do you expect? Yeah, what do you fucking expect? You don't expect anything, but she was mad enough to come back with a gun. It's tough, man. Look, the, the, there's, there's been a whole rash of, of people that, that really get into it way too much with food surface uh, personnel, you know? I, I think we have a general coarsening in in uh, America, you know? People are, are way too quick to uh, to rise to... The level of violence, you know, we used to be able to... Well, it's our country in the last few years. I guess so, man. It is our country. I you mean, know. it's divided big time. 
And but I mean, it's not divided fat- between between food consumers and food providers, you know. So they're really they, those people are probably they probably vote the same way. But you know, so why 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 the gunplay? Well, because they're idiots. Yes. Okay. Well, now, now, now we're getting down to it. Yeah. You know, on the very same uh, crime blotter page was a story about a a, a woman, sixty-year-old woman, who stabbed a thirty-four-year-old woman in the head, and then tried to set the house on fire. Well, that's see this? the way to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. So. so the the attack happened during during an argument. The victim had retreated to the bathroom. When the perpetrator poured gasoline under under the door and lit a match, it's well, nuts, man. It's nuts. Yeah. Well, that's that. You know, to me, uh, relax, nation. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, just leave. Just just go get something to eat. You know. Don't. Yeah. Know, I don't smoke anymore, so I don't have matches. Yeah. You know, or lighters, but, um, but you have gasoline. In just my for, car for, for huffing. Uh, oh, yeah. No. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. Rags and bags. I have a rag, right, and, yeah, 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 that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, but I, I don't. I, you know, when I lived above the Circle Bar, mm-hmm. uh, once every three months, the uh, Terminex people would come by, and they knock on my door. You know, they knock on the door, right? Uh, and they come and spray. I go, you know, you, this is not doing anything. And they said, yeah, I know. This is not doing anything. Because this building is so old. There's pigeons living like just right outside my door and all that. And yes. I said, well, what can you get? How can we get rid of this termites and all this kind of stuff? And the guy looked at me and said, light a match. <laughs> <laughs> to the whole building. Yeah, yeah, light a match to the whole building. Because they're paying for all this like, you know, three months, you know, spray and all that it ain't working. Yeah. It wasn't working. And I probably, you know, might die from... In, Exposure know, to yeah, the, yeah, the, all the, that, the yeah. ineffective chemicals. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, Burroughs, Jim, uh, William Burroughs talks about uh, when he was an exterminator that uh, the Chinese people that he would go spray at their places, they knew to offer him a little bit extra money to spread the good shit. Oh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because they, because the exterminating company, they'd have the shit that they would spray for everybody yeah. else, and they had some other stuff that, like, they're real good clients. They'd give the Chinese knew that if if you give the exterminator a couple of extra dollars, it'd tell him to get the good shit out of the truck, you know, and he would. The forbidden stuff. That's why my General Tao's chicken never tasted the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so back to our guest. <laughs> yeah, back to our guest, and and, and so you're you know, a lively guest. I dig you. Yeah, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. You're a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank God you're not somebody Manny dislikes. Yeah. So we've seen what happens then. I'm not um, as troubled as I used to be. Okay, well. I'm trying to work on it. Well, we'll see how you feel at the end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> how you hear yourself next week. Maybe yeah. backtracking. Yeah. Right. You know, there's a, a, a great story. You were talking about how Alex would like uh, people that other people wouldn't like. Right. And, it, and how he didn't care what anybody else thought whatever anyone else's opinion of this person was and it reminded me of this little story i read in one of those 33 and a third books that that those very slim volumes they'll put out i think this was on maybe like radio city on radio city okay you read it yeah so the guy writing it tells a story and this must have been contemporaneous to when i was with was new alex and was playing with him because alex would go out and and like fly out and do a, a a weekend playing with some guys that just hired him and said, "Hey, come play with my band." Right. 
So it's one of those situations. The guy had gotten Alex's number and he brings him up and Alex plays a gig with his band. But he said the first night he gets there, he brings Alex out and he's an, he idolizes Big Star and idolizes Alex. And he brings him to his favorite bar and he's going to show Alex off. And they're sitting there at the bar and waiting for his friends to come. And the guy goes to the bathroom and comes back and Alex has got his legs crossed and, and, uh, uh, the logical song by uh, Super Tramp is playing, oh. which is it's a horrible song. Oh. I, I always dreaded it. I hate that guy's voice. Yeah, I know. Me too. Who doesn't? Yeah. Um, I guess they have fans. They sold records. I don't know. I, I never owned one. But but so Alex is is sitting there like swinging his head back and forth, kicking his leg, rocking out, and the guy's like, he goes. He looks at him in disgust, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And Alex goes, "This is a great song, man." And I, I thought, I love that story, and the, it's the only story I remember from the book because I thought that is Alex in a nutshell. He he doesn't care what he doesn't care that everybody else thinks this is totally uncool. He's not even liking this in a in a an ironic way. He right. genuinely likes this, right. <laughs> and I think that's a beautiful quality that he had. You know, yeah, it was just about the music. He could. He was hearing the music without without all that baggage somehow, in in a way that other people weren't hearing. And yeah, I mean, well, I don't know what he was hearing because I, I listened to the music and I, you know I'm not hearing that. But <laughs> what you know, if it struck him, that's a, that right. was enough for him. You know, he didn't care that nobody else thought it was cool. Or like to do boogie shoes when he did boogie shoes. When right. It was like Casey and the Sunshine Band was the least cool thing for to punk rock ever. And he turned it into a punk rock song. Right. It was crazy. <laughs> There's footage of him in the studio. When he's that that that's some of the greatest footage. The, during the like flies on Sherbert session, um, these great videographers, like you know, in in the seventies when they were just starting to have what you might call portable, so called mm -hmm. portable video equipment, these guys were shooting black and white video of those sessions, and and there's Jim Dickinson, the great record producer, who's working with Alex on this on this recording and uh lee baker this great guitar player who's not so well known outside of memphis from uh, but, Mudboy and the neutrons right yeah, yeah. right and 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 alex is saying to him hey um i got this song i want y'all to y'all to listen to and and he starts playing the chords for it he says it's called boogie shoes and you can see this look on Jim Dickinson's face of as, horror. as he's looking at Alex <laughs> and he's realizing that he's, he's not kidding. He's serious. <laughs> <laughs> and then he shows him all the parts and he's got all the parts figured out right. like he wants. And, and yeah, they made a great record of it. So I remembered the, the thought that, that left me a few, few minutes ago when I started to lock up there. Of all the people who feel protective about Alex and and would not want him to be exploited or wouldn't want someone to, uh, you know, leverage him and his life to for their own project. This is this film that you're making has the support of all of his closest confidants. Uh, Tav Falco is behind it. Pat Rayner is behind it. Right. You know, you have somehow you have, uh, you know, I guess because they understand where you're coming from and they know it's it's uh, you're it's you're a safe person. You're you're someone who has the the proper amount of of background, understanding and respect. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've been really lucky to have these these folks cooperate. And, and, and especially when you when you name Tav and Pat. The great thing uh, is that they are the ones who created this amazing video footage that they shared with me. And and they were you know Televista yeah Televista Randall yeah Randall Lyon who uh, also I knew and and who's no longer with us but right. you know these these folks 
uh, Tav and, 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 and Randall especially were working directly with Bill Eggleston with this other side of his career that, you know, sort of remained unknown for many years, the, the black and white verite video footage that he was shooting that mm. ended up being called Stranded in Canton. Mm -hmm. I guess it was always called that and it was finally released in a sort of, uh, you know, edited version. Um, it was just kind of this legend for a long time. People knew that this thing existed, but it had only been uh, seen a couple of times. Anyway, these guys were, were, were making videotapes of uh, concerts that the Panther Burns played uh, in like 1978, 1979. And, and it's really hard for us to imagine now how rare that was when everybody's got an HD phone an HD camera in, in their, their pocket right. in their phone, right? right? And everywhere you go, everybody's shooting video. But that that we have video from the '70s of Alex in the recording studio and also performing is uh, is a great resource that I'm really thankful. So to, when can we see this documentary? Uh, I hope that it will be finished in in 2020 to be Excellent. seen at Excellent. festivals. And yeah. All right. We'll see what happens from there. So, so, and, and to make that happen, everybody needs to jump out there and uh, check out that Kickstarter page. That's and, right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, you have all kind of uh, very interesting perks. Right. Uh, you have uh, one of them is uh, people coming down to New Orleans for a, a sober or not so sober weekend. And uh, I, uh, if 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 you're the winner of that, I'm actually going to uh, take you around for a little tour. <laughs> Some of the the highs and lows of uh, Alex's time here in New Orleans, or my time with Alex in New Orleans. That's right. Yeah, the yeah, Kickstarter so. campaign is until August the twentieth, and it's really a, you know I, I was reluctant for a long time. A couple of people tried to talk me into doing a Kickstarter campaign for this, and I thought, no, I just can't can't imagine because it seems like begging. Well, yeah, yeah, but it, it turned out but there were a lot of people cause. who really yes. wanted to find out how they could help right and and it's been fun and it's been a way that that people could uh could offer things that i didn't expect as yeah. well like there's a guy who contacted me because he heard about the kickstarter campaign and he shared with me recordings really good recordings of performances in the 80s you're on a couple of these renee okay that were recorded in florida yeah. oh nice I'll have to share some of that with you. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't have anything. It's so funny. I of all those gigs I did because of what you're of what you're talking about, how nobody had recording equipment. Right. Th there's only a couple of extant photographs of me playing with Alex. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, see, it's so weird. Kickstarter because back in the '80s, when I was trying to raise money for my short films, I would just sell my girlfriend. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and how much was that going to raise? Yeah, well, she was hot. Man. Okay, I, I had quite, you know, sure. chick stick me, man. No, I know, you know I know. That. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, I got to go. Okay, well, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that seems like a podcast, you know. Yeah. So, David, <laughs> yeah. do you have any uh, burning desires? <laughs> any closing thoughts? No, this has been great. Thanks well, a lot. Well, thanks yeah. for doing it, David. And uh, yeah, best of luck with the film. I can't wait to see it. And uh, and nation, you know, look for him. Yeah, check check out the yeah. uh, the the uh, uh, why, why, sh why should I care Kickstarter page? Yeah. And is there? An, uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. Right. And uh, people will be able to get right to it. Yeah. If right. you just Google Alex Children, why should I care? Kickstarter, all that. Uh, nice. It's widely available on the internet. Okay. Right. okay. Well, thank you so much, David. And, uh, you know, in the Trouble Nation, on the Trouble Men podcast, we like to say, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. I know that's right. Good night. Underclass. Underclass. Well, I'm
Class, class. 